0: It's our best material on the pre-show.
1: I know. (laughs) Do you want to count down?
0: Yes, of course I do. It's been a while. Five, four, three, two. Hello and welcome to Thinking Religion. I'm Thomas Whitley.
1: I'm Sam Harrelson.
0: It's good to be back in the saddle, Sam.
1: What's your New Year's resolution, Thomas? I don't make New Year's (laughs) resolutions.
0: so we're talking about this right and we were
1: everybody, <laughs> just now
0: <laughs> just now in the pre-show um you know everybody so it's okay so we're recording on january 2nd so it's now 2017 2016 has officially ended i don't know that the darkness is gone but 2016 at least from the arbitrary way that we keep time is past us or we are past it some of us have survived um, but, you know, this is it's an arbitrary marker for everybody to say, hey, this is a fresh start. Um, and I don't know, for a few years now, I've not made New Year's resolutions. Because they seem one they're Right. I mean, why should I wait till January 1st? If I think I should change something, I should just change it. It's kind of the way I feel about when people give up soda or chocolate for Lent. Like, okay, you really just want to go on a diet, and if you really think you should be giving those things up, then just do it all the time. Don't just do it for Lent, right? That doesn't make you somehow closer to Jesus because you're using this liturgical season as an excuse to diet. So, I I don't know. I mean, but you don't make New Year's resolutions either, right?
1: No. No, I do not.
0: So, have you ever?
1: I I really didn't. I mean, I, I didn't grow up in a family where, like, that type of thing was a big deal we didn't do lent we certainly didn't do like new year's resolutions um i mean we were pretty perfect to begin with no yeah, uh, obviously. You know, obviously, yeah obviously um no i mean i just don't remember that i, I remember it's like a teenager being like well i should read more books this year or whatever but you know in, in terms of that kind of culturally affecting us we we were in the you know in the sticks in south carolina and unless dan rather you know, brought it to us. We didn't really hear about things like New <laughs> Year's resolutions. Right.
0: So I, so, so yeah. So I don't make resolutions. One, I mean, I think that there is this this idea that okay, I'm taking stock of where you are and who you are is not a bad thing. But this kind of annual, we have to somehow improve ourselves, right? This kind of, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that that that's maybe not always a positive uh, message to be to sending out to people. But so I do occasionally make goals but not, I don't think it's kind of in the same traditional sense of resolutions. And when I do that, I try to be kind of specific. So last year, um, a goal of mine was to write every day. And realistically, I didn't mean it for the whole year of 2016, but I did mean it through, um, when I graduated with my PhD, because I was trying to finish my dissertation and doing a lot of writing, uh, for marginalia and stuff like that. Um, And for the time that it mattered, I pretty much hit that goal. But, you know, I think resolutions sometimes are, well, I've got to, I don't know, lose 10 pounds or, you know, I've got to, you know, it's kind of general, maybe like read more books or I should exercise more um, that are not easy, that you're not kind of quantifying, which means that you're probably not going to be successful, but that are also really easy to kind of fail at or to then perceive yourself as a failure. Right. Like, oh, I didn't lose the 10 pounds I wanted to lose. So I suck as a person. Now, next year, I've got to lose 15 pounds.
1: Right. Wait, uh, Jennifer Weiner in the New York Times wrote a, an op ed, and I just put it in the show notes. But now, um, slipping through the. The paper because I still get the uh, the dead tree version of the New York Times every Sunday and I love it and I spend like two three hours kind of fishing through it and I send you pictures of articles when I could just easily like link to them yep. <laughs> online but uh, for, I, I think it's clever. So anyway, um, she she wrote this piece called uh, "Instead of a, a New Year's Resolution, Try a New Year's Revolution," which I know. But uh, the last paragraph it's a, it's a cute play on words. It, it's cute. The last paragraph is, I will work toward uh, better days for myself, for my peers, and for my daughters. May their Januarys be about self-acceptance, not self-improvement. May their leaders appreciate women for their talents, not their appearance. May they always understand that of all the things in the world to change and to fix, the least important will always be their looks. And, you know, she kind of goes into the whole, like, you know, marketing around the, the diet industry and, and how our incoming president is, you know, like on record having called women pigs and, you know, all that kind of stuff and, and how we're at this sort of a strange cultural crossroads of, of, you know, sort of the female identity and the male identity in terms of how those interact. And anyway, it's, it's a, it's a great little quick op-ed. So go read that. I think it's enlightening. One thing we are.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I I think that makes the point. I was trying to get at uh, better than I did. Uh, one thing we're certainly not resolving to do in 2017 is to record on a weekly basis. We're not but We're going to try to, we're going to make a goal to do it. But I, we're I not think gonna we should. make a resolution that we're going to record on a weekly basis. So if you, if you followed the show, uh, you know, in the past year or so, you probably, we know some people have been, um, you know, gently prodding us like, Hey, when are we going to get new content? Gently. Um, yeah.
1: Hashtag.
0: And, um, so the last show we did was October 29th, which is a long time ago. Uh, we recognize it's the longest hiatus we've had on the show uh, for some years now, right? Kind of, kind of since we resurrected
1: this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We've been and I miss everyone. it every week. Every week we don't talk. I'm like, oh, because I mean, because you and I talk, but like, you know, we're not talking in public.
0: Right. So we'd been kind of doing every week and um, basically some stuff happened as does with everyone's life and things just kept getting pushed
1: back my my right, well, computer was well, let's talk about what happened right. yeah, yeah so, yeah, so yeah. we we did a show on november the 7th or something 6th and it was terrible because of your computer right there was and stuff. then on the <laughs> november the 14th we had a show and i got hit in a car accident that i'm still recovering from and that's been a lot of fun so that was kind of the main like i, I can't do a podcast because i'm laid up with a broken neck but (laughs) um that that's been rough and i started you know my my new gig which we've talked about on the show before but you know that's been keeping me busy and you have your new gig that's been keeping you busy and then um you know the the big news about um you and trinity taking a third partner and becoming polyamorous (laughs) right
0: yeah that little minor detail
1: yeah. I thought that was I mean I'm I, you know, that's bold. Go for it. And you're <laughs> t- t- it's time consuming, you know. <laughs> Third partner is time No, I'm just kidding. Um as far as I know, I don't know. Um but yeah, so it's it's been it's been a heck of a heck of a, a fall. December winter period. Yeah, I mean so And then the Trump was elected so we couldn't <laughs> we could talk to each other. <laughs> right. We, yeah. we were completely wrong. Yeah. And um,
0: yeah. Okay. So, I mean, there's kind of so much, right? The, the temptation here is to make this a three or four hour show, which we're really going to try not to do. Um,
1: I do have to work tomorrow, but it's only right. Yeah. So so much that we miss
0: talking about on the show. Um, But if you follow us on Twitter, which we tell you to do at the end of every show, because that's where basically all of our best content is, then you, you kind of know, you know, what's going on and, you know, kind of what we're thinking about a lot of things. Obviously I've been writing a few things, um, and kind of trying to very seriously sound the alarm about um, who I think Donald Trump is and what I think he m- may possibly mean to our country. Um, but, yeah, so, so the fall has been um, bad for us for a number of reasons, but we're excited. And, you know, so it was all that all that that happened same as recovering um we did get to see each other briefly over the break in person which as you know some of you probably know doesn't happen very often since we live uh, in different parts of the country um so we are excited about kind of resurrecting the show again um hope that you have stayed around that you'll jump back in it with us um we you know this is a labor of love for us um it's not something that we get paid to do Uh, though if you want to make that happen we are more than open to that as a possibility Um, but we think it's an important thing it's obviously something we just enjoy right we're having conversations and we're recording it and some other people seem to like that too but particularly moving into 2017, moving in, you know, under the you know new Trump administration, <laughs> I think things like this will be, you know, important voices, right? Important kind of maybe acts of resistance.
1: Um, yeah, I was going to say. What's I mean, happening yeah.
0: kind of at the independent, right? If, or, you know, we talked about this before on the show, but, you know, kind of thinking of ourselves as like, you know, indie podcasters, essentially. But what's happening with independent uh, thinkers, independent uh, websites and, and news organizations um, I, I think it's quite different than what we see happening at some of the larger news organizations, and I think that those are important differences to point out um, and potentially bode not so well for the future, at least for these oh. large kind of news organizations with what, you know the direction that some of them are going
1: yeah i mean it 's that independent voice and you know it's the blessing and a curse of of anyone being able to publish anything they want um And and we've definitely you know created a little community slash family around this show where we have a few thousand listeners every week who you know really kind of evidently (laughs) enjoyed it, and all throughout November and December we kept hearing that like where's the show where's the show, Um, mostly through email and text messaging and that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, Twitter DMs. A couple of Twitter DMs, yes, yes. Um, Is that is that a dark sky? No, that's your drink. Oh, a, yeah. Sorry, that's oh, that's dream. your drink. I thought that was the app Dark Sky because it makes the same sound. Anyway, yeah. so yeah. For I mean, for, you know, for me, it's it's what's really interesting is that the ability for anyone to write a blog post or a tweet or a Facebook message, and and social networking to a lesser extent, but like really like a blog post or to create a podcast takes a lot of work and it's hard, but anyone can do this. And until the government cracks down and says you can't do that anymore, like this is going to be kind of the—I don't know—for me, kind of a, a bastion of democracy, where people can go out and find podcasts like ours and share them and say to their friends, like, "Yeah, you know, there's there's not like even NPR or you know whatever. I'm, I don't want to call on NPR, but you know, e- they have this agenda. But then you know, go listen to this show. It's really good. It's you know." these ladies these guys, these people who are are creating this content that uh, I I have affinity with. And that kind of, I don't know, uh, I guess democratic ideal is really important to me. So I'm, I'm glad we're doing this.
0: So, so as we think about moving forward and thinking about being this sort of voice, right, we're not trying to overstate our place in the world or, uh, our role in saving liberal democracy or something like that. Um, but we are trying to be cognizant of of uh, the platform, the small platform that you have given us and we appreciate that uh, and what we do with that. Um, but don't worry, like we're not going to really be changing who we are or what we talk about. Um but we're, this is kind of always in the background for us. We just don't often talk about it kind of in public. And so as we like to do, we're continuing to break the fourth wall or whatever it is. So, But one thing I want to talk about, right? So we're talking about kind of the start of the new year. We're going to get to the election in a little bit. Um, and this probably actually ties in quite well to the election. But so as we're thinking, right, this idea is that Okay, the last year was horrible, right? And this just kind of became a meme by, like, midsummer that 2016 was the worst year ever. That's, of course, debatable, (laughs) et cetera. Right, Uh, yeah. We obviously lost a lot of famous celebrities. Obviously, Donald Trump got elected as the president. Brexit. Uh, Not something. Yeah, we had Brexit happening. Syria. uh, Bowie. Syria and Aleppo and um, Berlin just recently. And, right, then we had Paris um, and Brussels. Right. So, I mean, it's, it has been, I think, categorically a bad year. Um, Personally, some things have been great. You know, we had had this conversation with some other, some people I was with on New Year's Eve. Um, And personally, some things have been really good for some of us. But when we look on a broader scale, things have, have really not been great. And so that causes uh, naturally so, and and I don't fault anyone uh, for doing this, but it causes a lot of people to say, I'm going to be more hopeful, in 2017, I, Bless you, it's a Thomas. position I wish I could take. Um, I would like to be able to do that. I don't think I can. Um, I'm naturally kind of cynical, uh, for starters. But if you read anything that I write recently, um, I have serious concerns about moving forward. But but there was a theme that, that came up, right? Said so the you know we recognize not all of our listeners are Christian, and and those and even those that are, not all of them would follow the lectionary. But the lectionary text was kind of particularly poignant this week, right? On January 1st, which was a Sunday, and Christmas was a Sunday, and that hasn't happened in, uh, you know, some while, what, six or seven years, I guess, is how that works. Um, But it was the massacre of the innocents, right? It it was uh, the babies being slaughtered. Um, And it's not a very hopeful message, right? And so in... Sam wrote this thing on Facebook and I was like, we got to talk about this on the show um, because I think it's a good portrait of kind of where we are um, and how we're reacting to this. So basically um, I know Sam doesn't want to do this himself, so I'll do it. But there was one quote that
1: <laughs> I mean, he was like, you know, I didn't this, is, this it. is what happens when you, when you, uh, when you post a Facebook for friends, I didn't yep. know you were going to do this tonight. So, and, and now you're, uh, you're, you're broadcasting my, my Facebook all over the internet webs thank you thomas exactly so but i it's like that picture you posted of you never mind yeah
0: Yeah. (laughs) i at least got your
1: permission first um (laughs) you said can we talk about your facebook post and i thought you were going to talk about that wonderful post i did about like the cubs and no right
0: and ag first yeah exactly (laughs) um (laughs) So basically, uh, you know, so Sam said he didn't preach, but if he had preached on Sunday, here's what he would have preached. And it's this really great piece. Um, but one thing that stood out to me, right, is, is, is Sam's, you know, wrestling. I think it's a lot of people are with, you know, how do we this is an odd text. And how are we supposed to kind of interpret this? And there are a bunch of different ways that you can interpret it. But 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 I really appreciate this one section that. Um, Where Sam says, I think I realize now that the author chose to include the massacre of the infants in the nativity story of Jesus to establish not only Jesus' claim to being the Messiah or to connect Jesus with Moses in the Exodus, which as an aside, are both certainly things uh, the author of Matthew is trying to do there, but also to plant the seed that Jesus was born into a broken world that has always slaughtered innocents and still does. Jesus' challenge to the authority of his time ended with his own slaughtering. And this is, uh, I I think, well said. It also lines up really well um, with the sermon that I heard at the church that I attend on Sunday. It was, you know, preached by a friend of mine, uh, this time not my wife, Um, but had a similar message, right? Okay, so now we're supposed to be saying kind of the light has dawned, Um, but it looks like we still kind of live in darkness, right? Nothing has really changed now that the calendars have switched over to 2017, And, in fact, and a lot of my friends have been saying this, um, 2017 may well be worse than 2016, uh, at least for Americans and for a lot of things that we hold dear, um, particularly certain voting rights, uh, rights of minority groups, rights of women, um, government oversight and ethics. There's stuff out about that today. Um, 2017 may be worse than 2016, but I think that this is a good reminder that the world is, we can't always, what's the saying? Like you can't put lipstick on a pig um, that I think, right. So, and I don't do this very often. If, if you listen to the show, you know, I, I try to take a more kind of academic bent as often as I can, mainly because that's really how I see things. But Sam and I, you probably know, we're in divinity school together and we had a professor whom uh, we love very dearly. And one of the things that he would say regularly is that your theology has got to be in response to reality. And that's kind of how I think about you know our theology, but also our politics. The way we view the world has to be in response to the way we understand the world really is. We can, of course, argue about what is reality and all of that type stuff. But it doesn't do anyone any good to have what might be a false sense of hope. Um, at the same time, it doesn't do anyone any good to... Like never be hopeful, and I understand that. But I think this is kind of anyway. So Sam, I just really appreciated um, kind of your little message there. That's recognizing that things don't, things aren't always good, and they don't always get better.
1: Yeah, everything falls apart. Right. Tenuai to be. You know, it's. I, you know, I appreciate that. I mean, I, I didn't want to go off on a sermon, but I kept seeing people saying like, Oh, it's the week after Christmas and my family is still in Christmas cheer and blah, blah, blah. And, and that's great. And that's wonderful. But, you know, it, it's Niebuhr's sort of, I don't know, I guess, uh, cultural Christianity meets pragmatism, <laughs> you know, saying, yeah. okay, it's a new year. Uh, this is kind of a scary time for a lot of people in the United States. What do we do? Um, and then we have this text, and if you take it seriously, like, it's a messed up text to begin with, you know, and I understand what Matthew the, or the author of Matthew is trying to do by associating this with, what, two or three Old Testament prophecies about Jesus being the Messiah and Jesus having to be born in, in uh, Bethlehem and Jesus going back to Nazareth because, it, right. you know, he would be called a Nazarean. Um, Which
0: is completely wrong, but... Right. right.
1: (laughs) You know, and Matthew's misunderstandings aside, like, the... Why that? Like, why infanticide of a whole village's generation of young men? Or, I mean, yeah, young... I mean, male babies. Um, Especially in this year that that we're dealing with Syria and we're dealing with, um, I don't know, just... Here in the United States, you know, we we have people saying, "Well, the the young white males are, are kind of a lost generation at this point," which to me is sad. Um, and then we look at think, you know, situations like Syria, where you know the young males really are, you know, kind of a, sadly enough, a lost generation in terms of you know body counts, and what do we do with this weird text that only Matthew records and, and why is it in there? And why use that as, as the sort of rhetorical device to, to do these things that you're trying to do? Um, you know, it, and of course, Josephus talks about Herod killing what three or two of his sons. And, you know, maybe there is some historical overlap there with, with, what Matthew was reporting on, because that would have been a, a well-known story, blah blah blah. But it, that doesn't, yeah. If you're going at at this from a sort of modern reader response point of view, like that doesn't really matter. But still, it it impacts us, and it's difficult to read. And and I don't know. I think most Protestant churches just skip over this. And if you come at this from a sort of Christian traditional point of view, or not Christian traditional, from the uh, tradition of, of Christianity point of view, you have the uh, the Feast of uh, of uh, St. Stephen on the 26th, mm-hmm. the day after Jesus, and then on the 27th you have the Feast of St. John, and then on the 28th you get the Feast of, of the Holy Innocents, which refers to this, and it's just that, that realization that Christianity itself is born into a very broken world on purpose, and we can't pretend like Jesus in Bethlehem is the only Jesus there is, because that's just one small one small part of the story. But I don't know. It's, oh, yeah. it's, and, and of course, it's a hard part of, of yeah. yeah. But you know, but I mean, you know, most like like Ricky Bobby and Talladega Nights, like we want to celebrate the baby Jesus. Yep. You know. <laughs> Sweet
0: eight I, pounds sounds baby Jesus in this <laughs> <gentle laughs>
1: <fleece diaper. laughs> Right. And baby Jesus is, is the most important Jesus for a lot of people still. And uh that's not really the you know, the point or the case, but I don't know. Looking looking into twenty seventeen, I, I don't I'm uh, you know.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean I think that's where a lot of people and that's that's another thing is you know, I, I think it's it's important and healthy to recognize where you are and where other people are. And there are a lot of people, particularly people who don't look like Sam and I and don't have the, you know, maybe life experiences that Sam and I have um, that, are, that are experiencing, you know, post November 8th, very differently than, you know, a lot of our friends um, that have very legitimate fears, uh, some of which are already being played out. Uh, and not to mention, I mean, we didn't even mention, we we're talking about how horrible 2016 was, uh, just the, the, the number of black men killed by black men and women killed by police. Right. And then of course the retaliation uh, against police, um, in Dallas and other places like that. I mean, it's been, it's been a hard year. We had the pulse nightclub shooting, right? So it, it's been, um, it's been a hard year and I don't think it's something you get over. I don't think it's something you ignore, um, and so, yeah, I mean, I guess we're kind of, I don't know if we're in a, we're not in a dark place, but, um, at least I'm not in an especially hopeful place. I am in a, um, resistant place, right. Um, where I think resistance is important and I think resistance means more than Facebook posts uh, or Twitter posts, uh, both of which I'm very good at. Um, and I think that becomes more and more important in 2017 and beyond. Um, so yeah, I mean these, so this is where you know you know getting kind of serious here as we jump back in the show so you may be like, whoa whoa, whoa that's not that's not what I came for. Um, but but I, I, you know I've, we've talked to a lot of people in our hiatus and um, I, I think a lot of people are kind of there too, uh, feeling some of the same uh, some of these same feelings and that are hard to put into words and you know that's completely acceptable
1: how did Trump win
0: that is the million dollar question right I mean that's what everybody wants to I mean a lot of people have
1: ideas um, I mean so today I, 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 I sent you this thing on Twitter I don't know if you saw it because you didn't respond jerk but it was kind of a, a hagiography of, of Hillary right. Hillary yeah. I can't talk I yeah <laughs> and it was you know, kind of saying, like, she was the first you know, female to be put up for a major party uh, nomination, and she won the popular vote by, by three million people, and blah, blah, blah. And she's not done yet, and she's going to come back, and it's because of her steely Methodist upbringing. And, you know, I was just thinking, as we talked about on the show, and I, I don't want to get political, but any anybody else? Like, could Bernie have beaten Trump? <laughs> yeah, you know, like I don't know.
0: I mean, so the thing is, w- w-
1: was it was it this groundswell that that Trump had to win? Was it inevitable? Because I mean, even even though we were we were skeptical in the last month, we th- you and I were both like, "There's something going on here." In the last month, and I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be re- revisionist by any means, but I think we right, still but, felt uh, like but at
0: the end of the day, like I still thought Hillary was going to win.
1: Yeah, I mean, we, we knew it was going to be closer than we thought. Right. And I'm not saying I wanted to hit Hillary to win because I don't think, you know, whatever. But like, I, I'm I'm still kind of surprised and and shocked in, in a lot of ways that this is how it turned out.
0: Yeah. So I'm not generally a fan of. Well, would so and so have won in place of this person? Right. Obviously. A lot of Bernie Sanders supporters Sam. Will wholeheartedly uh, believe sorry. Bernie Sanders would have won if he, had run. he I, would run. Fundam- I fundamentally disagree with that. I don't think he would have. Um, I think he would have probably lost even uh, more badly
1: than... More badly.
0: More badly. Uh, less bigly less than big- <laughs> Hillary Clinton did, uh, personally. Uh, not because I don't like Bernie Sanders or some of his policies. I just... On the national stage, I, I don't think he would have had a but
1: but, but don't you see that, like your your version of democratic party? I was going to say democratic ideals, but democratic <laughs> Democrat party, democratic party ideals. Like it's gone. Like Clintonism is dead, right?
0: I mean, I guess it depends on how you define Clintonism. It depends on how you define my version of democratic party ideals. Um, I am, yes, in in some ways when it comes to party politics, I, um, am more in the Clinton vein, uh, though not on all of her strategies or even all on, on, all of her positions. Um, but, but in my personal positions, I would on a lot of, you know, a lot of things I would have been closer to Bernie Sanders on, um, but I don't know. I just don't think that – even with all the changes that I think are necessary, uh, I don't think that Sanders' campaign um, had the chance of winning. And for me, politics is largely pragmatic. Pragmatic. And I know people don't want to hear this, but, you know, I do often think about the politics of what's possible, right? The politics of the possible. And that's not great. I mean, maybe that's not where we want to end up. It's certainly not ever where I want to end up. I want to continue to push, uh, you know, even further. But you have to work within the system that you have. And I, I that I know people would fundamentally disagree with me on that. And they would think, no, we need to burn the system down. And that's okay. Um, But 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 if if politics are pragmatic, and two, you have to be able to replace it with something that's sustainable, and I've not seen that yet.
1: But you don't have to be able to replace it if you vote for change. And if politics are pragmatic, how did Trump get elected by a a large majority of states that have voted Democratic? I mean, that Rust Belt area, the, the Midwestern firewall or whatever that we want to call it, like if that's the case, then that's, I mean, that's a very pragmatic part of the country and what Trump is suggesting is not pragmatic. He's not going to be able to bring back manufacturing jobs.
0: But, but what he's suggesting to those that voted for him in that part of the country seems pragmatic, right? And this is the thing that I keep going back to, particularly in conversations about religion, right? And people are trying to talk about how you explain why 81% of evangelicals voted for Trump. Uh, At the end of the day, People vote their politics. And then they vote what they and you know, in the kind of old the old cliche, they vote their pocketbooks or their, you know, their wallets or their purses or whatever they happen to carry or their, you know, Apple Pay wallet on their phone. They vote for someone that they think will make their life better. It's generally what we do. I mean, we're this is why politics is the way it is in our country, is because we generally have to try to uh, reach out to where people see themselves and how they think you will or will not be able to help them. I think there are a lot of factors that go into why certain people view things the way they do. Um, and and I, I think that there are plenty of people who are complicit in that. Uh, and there are certain things that people believe that I think are just not true. right? I mean, there there's a significant share of Trump voters who don't think that the um the stock market went up under Obama. I mean just demonstrably false. Right? But but this is the world as they see it.
1: And uh, 56% of Republican voters think that Trump won the popular election.
0: Right. Again, demonstrably false but nonetheless what we have to say is that that is reality for them and so it's not that they are saying hey this guy's going to be horrible for me but i like him because he's kind of a jerk sometimes and i wish i could be a jerk sometimes so i'm going to vote for him it's be- they may also like that part about him but they legitimately think he's going to make things better for them now this has led to buyer's remorse for some from some people we've already been seeing stories about this right oh well you know I, I didn't think he was really gonna try to repeal Obamacare I actually kind of like my Obamacare that I have right and and that happens we're used to that um, but it doesn't do anybody any good to say I'm um, you know hey you know you're an idiot you keep voting against your own interests um, because I mean, people could easily say the same thing about Democrats Um as far as taxing, whatever, and a whole host of things. So I think there are a number of reasons, a number, number of reasons that Trump won. Uh, But I don't think it's easily boiled down to some, you know, kind of explanation where we can say, okay, we're going to do this differently next time. And that's going to be the magic bullet. Um, And I, and I, as much as I liked Bernie Sanders, I don't think that he would have stood a better chance against Trump and this kind of populist nationalist wave that we had. And then just a lot of other forces uh behind that as well.
1: Hmm. So if you're you're looking ahead into the new year thinking along those lines where does that side of things go that or, or you know people like I don't know. I guess you that that aren't satisfied with how things turned out. Like how do you reconcile that from a faith or or political perspective in terms of what do you do cuz to go I mean Hillary Clinton is kind of a status quo figure. Right. Donald Trump is not. Donald Trump is a, you know, a whatever TV star or or maniacal whatever, you know, de- depending on how you want to define him.
0: I want to be authoritarian. <laughs>
1: <laughs> sure. Perhaps so. How do you how do you reconcile, or how do you say like, okay, well, we're we're going to grin and bear it. We're going to make it through because, to me, this feels different than it did with George W. Bush. Like, yeah, when absolutely. George W. Bush took the presidency away from Al Gore in two thousand, that was, you know, whatever Supreme Court issue. You know, th- there was some kind of a procedure in place. This feels like half the country wants to go this way and the other half of the country says are you serious you you really want that so what do we do in that case
0: um yes I agree this or, is- what do what,
1: what what people like what do people like you who, who are who look at Donald Trump and say and I'm, I'm don't want to speak for you but this person should not be president oh my god what do we do You know, so from a, (laughs) do you see what I'm saying? Like from a faith kind of political perspective, like Mm -hmm. how do you reconcile that?
0: Well, okay. So I don't know that reconciliation in that sense is what's necessary. Um, I, I think again, we have to, right. We have to be in response to to reality. The reality is Donald Trump's going to be sworn in on January 20th as president. That's the reality. Um, Yeah, the people pinning their hopes on the electoral college not voting that way was always wishful thinking. Um, Yeah, so so I don't know that like you have to. I guess in some sense you do have to reconcile yourself with hey, this is reality of where we are now, where our country is now. Uh, But then I I think you have to you have to work right. You have to actually get to work to change things if that's what you want to see happen. And this means actually doing stuff. Excuse me. This means uh, talking to uh, your representatives. This means uh, doing what you can on the local level because that's where most of the power is. And this is what people don't understand. And this is what Democrats seem to have forgotten for a decade at least. Right? We thought we got the presidency and so we're all good now and everything's going to be okay. And Republicans said, okay, you can have that for the time being. By the way, during the eight years that Obama's in office, we're just going to take a thousand races across the country from governor's houses to state legislatures to city and, and um, you know county representatives. And so now we look around and we're like, oh, OK, uh, Republicans almost completely control enough states to call a constitutional convention. So And you have people proposing certain amendments to the Constitution uh, that I think would would be absolutely horrible. So you have to work on the local level, and, and finally now national Democrats are starting to um, recognize that and work on that. Obama is going to be involved in that. Eric Holder is going to be involved in that. Um, and hopefully there will be a lot of money behind that because you need that. Uh, but I think that's one of the things you have to do. You have to get involved in the local level. And we cannot just come out for presidential elections and we cannot just come out. This is why I talk about politics as, as pragmatic. And, and I don't think we can just come out when there happens to be someone on the ballot that inspires us because uh, sometimes politics is inspirational, but most of the times it's not right. Most of the time politics is, it's kind of boring and it's kind of mundane and you're making choices between, uh, you know, people that may not, that may not be that different. But then other times you're making choices between people that you've not taken any time to study and you think it doesn't matter, but they actually have a significant amount of control over what happens in your life. And that's, I think that's wrong. I think we have certain responsibilities as citizens um, that a lot of people have shirked for a long time. And I, I think there are other systemic things that need to change that we need to fight for. I think we need to do everything we can to push back against uh, the voting restrictions that we're seeing in places like North Carolina and other places like that that are clearly designed um, by those in power to keep those who wouldn't want them in power from voting as easily as they would. Um, So I think we need to do that. I'm also a proponent of automatic voter registration for everyone when they turn 18 and either automatic mail-in ballots to everyone or if you don't want to go that route, then I think election days should be national holidays. Or if it's just a local election, it should be a local holiday. Everyone should get the day off. Public transportation should be free. And we should do everything we can to make sure that everybody is voting. So I think there's some, some systemic things that need to change. But on the individual level, uh, I think we actually have to—you have to start doing things. If you don't like the way things are, you have to get to work and try to change them. At least that's what I'm trying to do.
1: Do you think that's gonna make any effect?
0: I don't know. It may not, but uh, it has a greater likelihood of having an effect than not doing anything or being upset about the way things turned out and saying, "I'm just going to keep my head down because I'm going to survive because I'm a white male and I'll be okay."
1: So, what happened in what happened in this election? Did people just not get invested or excited?
0: Well, yeah, certainly. All right. I mean, so you have all this narrative about the enthusiasm gap, which to some degree is a a creation. Um, But certainly, people were not as enthusiastic about Hillary Clinton as they were about Barack Obama. But the expectation that you're going to have someone who inspires you like Barack Obama on the ballot every four years is is ridiculous. Um,
1: So so do you think people just assume that? there's no way Donald Trump is going to get elected. There's no way Donald Trump is going to be nominated as a Republican candidate.
0: I, I think, yes, I think that happened. And then the, then the, the other happened as well. I think Republicans took for granted that, oh, Donald Trump's not going to get nominated. And then they looked around all of a sudden and they were like, oh, crap, what have we done? And then Democrats thought, there's no way Donald Trump can get elected. Like, he's not going to be president. Like, this is crazy. Right, he's Donald Trump. He's a reality TV star. Like, watch, look at his Twitter feed. He doesn't have any idea what it takes to be president. But then all of a sudden, here he is. So yes, I, I think there's some of that. There, there are a lot of people. I am not going to be someone to say, "Hey, you shouldn't have voted for a third party candidate uh, because you cost Hillary Clinton the election." It's absolutely your right to go and vote for whomever you want to, and I think everybody should do that. Other uh, people I take issue with are the people that didn't get and vote. You got to get out and vote. I mean, that's pretty simple. Um, But I think there are a lot of people who thought, well, I'll abstain, right? I know a number of people who did this, didn't vote on the top of the ticket because they felt like they couldn't vote for Hillary Clinton, Um, which, (laughs) you know, obviously didn't help her. Um, But then I, I think, I mean, we haven't talked about it yet, but I think the Russian hacking played. A significant role in it. When you look at the numbers now, as you analyze them afterward, you see a significant change um, in favorability ratings and projections after you know the DNC emails start getting leaked, which we know all of the national it- intelligence agencies have told us that Russia and perhaps very very high members in the Russian government uh, were involved in this, and we now know they hacked the RNC as well. But amazingly. None of that uh, material ever came out. And so it was timed perfectly with the DNC, timed perfectly to pit Democrats against each other, the two so-called wings of the Democratic Party, the Hillary Clinton wing and the Bernie Sanders wing. And we just fell right into it. And so we started eating ourselves and not focusing on winning an election for a Democrat. And as much as everybody hates, you know, like generic Democrat or just get somebody in the office, and uh, this election... Like, it actually matters more than I think it does in most elections. And, you know, a lot of people didn't see it that way. And, you know, this is where we are now. But I don't think we can underestimate that. Or, you know, I I do think Comey's letter had something to do with it. But I think that was maybe kind of like a straw on the camel's back.
1: Do you think that was – I don't know. I mean, we'll never know. But was that driven by – (laughs) <laughs> you know, I, like don't, I, don't, I,
0: mean, I just don't have any idea. I mean, you know, I mean, the thing with Comey is, you know, one day he, you know, Republicans hated him and Democrats loved him, and the next day it was it was you know the other way around. Uh, it doesn't seem to me, from what I see as just a regular citizen, like a very smart move. It seems to have been against the advice of some other people uh, in the bureau, but I mean, it's not like the FBI is has never gotten itself involved in politics before. So it's also not kind of new. Um, and do I think that Comey was trying to influence the election? I have no idea. I mean, you know, I'm inclined to give him the benefit the benefit of the doubt and say no. Um, but, you know, when you look in the aftermath, it obviously looks – it obviously in, impacted the election. Do you, I, I, do you think no it did? I
1: that. mean, do, yeah. do, really? So you, you think there's no doubt? Yeah, so, I mean, I think that's what the data
0: shows. If you look at how how the numbers started changing after the letter came out,
1: I mean, yeah. Clearly. But I mean, was that was that because of that letter, or was that because of people finally saying, "No, I'm not, I'm not going to vote for her because she hasn't made a compelling case yet." You know, was was it the Comey, whatever, you know, intrusion, well, or I mean, was it? But there's okay. So I mean, what you're saying? If, that, no, no, I'm saying if it had been any other candidate, I would understand what you're saying. Like if that had been John Edwards or whoever, but the fact that it was Hillary Clinton who is a known quantity, and if you if you're going to vote for Hillary, you know that like a year you know, before, and you know the, I don't know the people that say like well you know, clearly it was it was Comey's letter at the last I'm not minute like it was
0: clearly Comey's letter that cost her the election, but I, it impacted the election. I mean, How? you look at when you look at the way the numbers changed and shifted. I mean, by two points or so, um, you see a change after the letter comes out.
1: But there's so, there's always a shift at the last two weeks.
0: Okay, but so there's no way to know, I guess, whether it was one or the other. But I mean, that's a uh, there is some evidence that it was the letter. We don't have some compelling evidence that it was. On mass, people saying, yeah, okay, I have to make my decision now. She hasn't made a compelling case that just so happened to coincide with the release of Comey's letter. Right. So, so that's the, I mean, and I don't think you could, I don't know how you can parse those two. And probably it was a mix of the two, but I, I, I do think that the letter had some impact on
1: the election. I, I'm sure it did, but I don't think it had an impact in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, uh, Michigan. You know, areas that, that if she had won Ohio, if she had won any of those states, the whole election would have been different. And I don't think Comey's letter swayed that. I yeah, think those people were already just, you know... I mean, that that comes back to, to kind of the question of... Do you want an election that's decided by the majority, or do you want an election that's decided by the electoral college? Because I mean, remember, remember a couple of years ago when the Republicans were calling for the repeal of, of the electoral college because the Democrats owned the electoral college, yep. and all of a sudden now it's like, no, no, we don't, we don't want a popular election. We want, ever. yeah, right. The Founders, they were, they were right. See three-fifths of a man um and now all of a sudden you know we we want to as democrats i'm not saying we but democrats want to repeal the electoral college and and do the popular vote route because yeah and i mean
0: so my thought on that is i I think there are problems with the electoral college um i think that less populous states have uh, more than their fair share of um votes in the Electoral College. I mean, uh, the the numbers just bear that out. And the idea that, well, if we went to the popular vote, like three states would determine every election, California, Florida, New York. Well, that also happens to be where the majority of the people in this country live. So what you're saying is we don't want the majority of the people determining the outcome of the election, which is, I I don't understand that argument. Um, But I I have a hesitation in that, I don't always think the popular vote is the way to go. And, and I know in presidential elections, it's, it's, you're not dealing with this, but particularly when you're dealing with the rights of minorities um, or minority groups, the popular vote almost never votes for in favor of minority groups gaining the rights that the majority groups already enjoy right you see what happened in north carolina with amendment 1 when they amended their constitution to say that same sex marriage would be illegal in north carolina um you know before the supreme court case uh, yeah that went to a popular vote and the majority of the people said no this minority group uh, shouldn't have the same rights that us majority people have uh and, and so I, I don't think that a, that a pure popular vote is is always the best thing for um, particularly in those situations where you're dealing, when you have the rights of a, of a minority group up to uh, a vote. Um, so I, I, have some hesitation and not that I think, I don't think electoral colleges is, is um, great. I think it needs to be changed. Not, but I, I've thought that for a long time, not just because of the way the selection happened to play out. Um, certainly it would change the campaigns If you go to a popular vote as opposed to an electoral college, but I don't know that that's all bad, right? The idea is that, well, now, you know, they're going to be spending more time in Florida, New York, and California. Well, there are more people that live there, right? I mean, there's no sensical reason that Iowa should get, you know, 60% of a candidate's attention. Right? Iowa should get attention. There are people that are there and politicians need to make a case to the people that are there. But when you look at statewide elections where people were there by the popular vote, uh, it's not like politicians ignore, even Democratic politicians ignore the places that aren't large cities. I mean, they go out there. Um, to the rural places and they try to make their case there too and I think uh, it's the same thing we would
1: have. I, I, think, I think smart politicians smart politicians ugh, I can't talk <laughs> smart politicians do. So Obama talked about how he went to Western Virginia and he campaigned there and no he didn't win it but he knew he made inroads there because people met him and saw him and he, did, right. he was much more competitive but I will say coming from South Carolina where we have Greenville we have Columbia and we have Charleston and that's it. So the PD and areas of the low country get completely ignored um, financially and representatively, everything else. And it really gets frustrating when we have what we call the corridor of shame up I-95 um, because our, our school uh, uh, financial disbursements are based on property taxes and all, you know, all sorts of things that are really skewed towards the affluent parts of the state. So, Greenville, Columbia, Charleston are doing really well. And things are, you know, yay, yay, yay. But the PD's is not doing well. But who cares? Because they don't, you know, it's not a majority of people. They're mostly Democrats. And, you know, it's it's those those weird poor people over there in, in that corner of the state that, that we can ignore. Um so I, I do have a problem when it comes to you know this idea that that which is you know just go by majority rule because i mean as thomas jefferson said you know the, the the responsibility a responsibility of the majority is is not to step on the rights of of the minority yeah and then the best way to check that is something like the electoral college in theory yes
0: but, but had, <laughs> until until it, they
1: it, vote for Trump.
0: <laughs> no, but I'm saying the expectation that the Electoral College would ever would have been anything other than a rubber stamp was I mean, it just wasn't gonna happen. Right? I mean if you just look at, at how the the electors get chosen, right? I mean they are Bill Clinton was an elector in New York, right? I mean they are the they are the staunchest party people. They're I mean, you might have a couple here and there that are gonna um you know, kind of revolt or whatever, but you had more people choose not to vote for Clinton, Democratic electors, then you had Republican electors choose not to vote for Trump. Again, a sign of you know, how successful it was pitting different wings of the party against each other. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it just, it just wasn't going to happen. Right, there was just no way that was going to happen. So I don't know, but yeah, does the electoral college need to change? Absolutely. Uh, and and part of that is you know maybe it's just tweaks, right? Maybe it's in the number of votes that different states get, and maybe it needs to be you know more closely tied to population than it is currently. Um, and that's some way to to do it. But it, it's I don't know. I don't think it's a great system. Um, but it, it also is not often. Not you know it obviously happens some, but it's not often that we have a politician win the uh, popular vote and lose the electoral college. Um, It doesn't happen very often, uh, but it it also doesn't mean that the current system is great the way it is. Right. I mean, part of, you know, kind of loving your country and your democracy is doing what you can to make it better, to make it more representative, to make it work for more people. Um, And, I don't think that's been the case with the electoral college for a while. Sometimes it works out fine, uh, but sometimes it doesn't, and when it doesn't, it's kind of a big deal. And I, I do think this is one of those examples.
1: So, what do churches do in the middle of all of this? That's a good question.
0: I got a lot of thoughts about that. We don't have time. That would be another show. Um, I mean, obviously it obviously, depends on the church, right? Um, but I, I think you, you know, I think churches need to be clear about who they are and where they stand.
1: Um, stand on uh, like, what do you mean, stand on what? Do you do you mean like from a political point of view, or or from a like I guess a religious point of view?
0: I don't know from a not not a political point of view, like which party do they support? Because I don't really care about that. Um, but where they stand on. You know a lot of issues where they stand on human rights, where they stand on voting rights, where they stand on um separation of church and state, which you know, is I mean, it safe you know as well as I do right? It's Baptists that are some of the you know kind of historic Baptists that are some of the staunchest supporters of the separation of church and state as
1: it should be yeah, so is it safe for churches to do that in your point of view to to say like we're gonna stand up and and say like this or that I mean pro-Trump, anti-Trump, whatever.
0: I think you've got a um, Well, it's certainly safe for pro-Trump pastors to speak out pro-Trump, right? I mean, he's the current administration. He's going to be the current administration in 18 days. Um, he has the power. Uh, that's certainly safe. So I guess the question is whether it's safe for you know anti-Trump um, churches to speak out or whatever. And... I, generally, yes, I think it is. But even if it's not, I think that, that think that's still who you have to be, not just as a church or you know a mosque or a synagogue or religious religious institution, but as a citizen. I think that's your responsibility, right? If I mean, you have to speak out against what you think is wrong, uh, and I don't think that changes just because you're a church. And I, but I do think often, right? I mean, we see this um, institutions tend to be conservative in in these types of situations and that not like conservative views, but they, they move conservatively, right? Cause they, uh, don't want to, you know, offend people or, you know, don't want to upset people or make people think they're misunderstanding them or didn't hear them or something like that. Uh, and you know, moderate liberal churches are as guilty, more guilty of this than probably anybody else. Right. Um, cause we are fans of nuance. Um, And I think that's a great thing. Um, But at the same time, it it also leads to what, in my opinion, would be a watering down of a message, Um, particularly when it comes to, I think, the rights of our fellow human beings. And so so at a certain point, it's kind of irrelevant whether it's safe or not. Um, I think it's what we should all be doing.
1: So... I don't know. I'm not, I'm not trying to push you on this, but like, do churches like, I don't know. I I guess it goes back to that bigger issue of how do academics, how do churches deal? And I know we don't have time, but how do academics, how do churches, specifically religious studies, academics uh, deal with the incoming administration? Like, is it just keep doing what you're doing and whatever, or, hey, do what you do, but have an eye to what's going on culturally because things are going to change, you know? Like, do do you see that becoming a big talking point as we enter Um,
0: 1938? Yeah. Uh, Yes. So certainly. Um, There are definitely people, uh, academics, you know, that I know that are basically like, I'm going to keep my head down, I don't have tenure yet, whatever. But as we've seen in the past few years, tenure is not the um, protector that it should be uh, in, in many cases, and more so these days. Um, but no, I, I think there I think there comes a time when you are a fellow human being before you're an academic, and no matter how much I love um, you know theories of religion and all of that. And how much it it influences how I view the world. Um, there comes a time you 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 have to speak out, um, and if that means that somebody says I'm not a good enough academic, then so be it. I'm not really worried about that, you know. Um, so I I think particularly religious studies scholars have a responsibility to. I mean, this is part of a piece that I'm working on now. That they have a responsibility to speak out and engage them public um but i think all scholars do right this idea that um we can just you know sit here in the universities and do our work and we can talk amongst ourselves and you know they don't they wouldn't get it anyway is one it's not helping your job security but two your critiques of the world around you don't mean a whole lot if you're not trying to do anything to make the world around you any better and particularly for you know a lot of religious studies scholars that deal in things that like large questions Uh, like I do, right? Classification and issues of power and things like that. There's no way to do that work without engaging what's going on in the world today, right? So obviously my PhD is in antiquity, but I have a chapter coming out in a book, which just so happens to, to, in a portion of it, talk about Mike Pence and his role in the uh, Indiana Religious Freedom Restoration Act, Right, because I deal with classification, I deal with the public transcript, I deal with issues of power, and that was something that was going on. It's what I wrote about. I mean, there, I think there's kind of no way you you can't um, not engage the world around you. Um, I mean, some people can like physically do that, right? They can get away with that because of their privileged position, but um, you're not doing anything to help the world around you, and and I think you're shirking your responsibility and the position that you have.
1: Well, do you want to leave it there? <laughs> I don't know what to say.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, okay, okay. So we're gonna we'll come down off that for a second because there's a, there's something we do have to talk about. What's that? And we have to talk about your surprise Christmas present.
1: Yes. Yes. Okay,
0: so we got we got to we got to end it there. went in a little positive note. Of course, we're gonna be talking about leather goods. You know this already. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah yeah so so that's responsibilities people have those those are serious things but as part of being true to who we are we love leather and Sam got an absolutely amazing surprise Christmas gift
1: well first of all I'm gonna say that I love my Kindle as well I have a Kindle um, Voyager which is the stupid $180 version it was $280 uh, so I bought a leather case for that and I love it because it's like the origami case yeah. So I, I like my, my paper books but I'm I'm tapping it now. I love this leather origami oops, hit the microphone. Uh case for the Kindle Voyager. Um yes, so I bought my wife a uh, this is ground mod to complement my this is ground mod and Thomas has a this is ground mod. You have version two, I believe. Yeah. And yeah, so the new ones just came out this year, so I got I got one for myself and I was like, yeah I'll get one from Mariana. So I got one from Mariana. And I got an email from this is ground saying, Hey, you you won our our weekend uh contest or whatever. And Thomas and I <laughs> oddly enough <laughs> have followed this is ground on uh Instagram for years. I mean what, two, three years? Yeah. At least I mean, at least two years. I think they've been around for about three years, so about two years, and they're they're a fantastic leather company, leather leather goods company. And um, I, I like I said, I got my mod again, my second one earlier this year, like last month. Love it. Use it every day. It's my my go to all my work. People call it my clutch, but it's it's fantastic. And decided to get one for Ariana for Christmas. So it comes in and I get an email saying, "Hey, you you won this thing and it arrives and it's it's the Voyager backpack, which blows my mind. Um, amazing backpack! It's <laughs> it, it's something that Thompson and I have kind of gone back and forth uh, on uh, messaging, talking about because I never thought I would be the person that would have a like a leather backpack, but this thing is a life changer. I mean, it's it's so." comfortable and so easy to use and i i'm in love with it and it you know it's it's kind of a well done i don't know i don't know how to explain the whole uh, system but it, it's just a, a really nice package of of um you know what you would expect out, out of that company so yeah best christmas present ever by far
0: <laughs> so it kind of changes your like everyday carry too right
1: yeah so you know typically like i was going into the office with the mod and and that's fine but now it's like well i can throw my laptop in there because i have a, a work laptop so i'm able to take the laptop that i was just leaving at work and coming home and i was using citrix or whatever and and uh dialing in and doing work from there but now it's like well i could take the laptop home, uh, laptop home with me and, and put it in the backpack um you know lunch and all that stuff and it's it's wonderful i mean it it really well done and at, at first it was kind of uncomfortable and i was like ah, i'm not sure if this is going to work just just like the mod is when you get the mod for the first i don't know week or two yeah it's it's kind of stiff and you're like well this doesn't fit everything i want to fit and then after like a week or two everything's perfect and you're like oh okay well this does fit and the same thing with the backpack so yeah i mean I, i'm i'm blown away and i'm, I'm a big fan
0: yeah, and we'll remind you that we, yeah, you know, this is ground does not sponsor our show, but you know, it like <laughs> should. But
1: this if you want to, Grant, just let us know.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're par- we're basically just shields for this is ground, but we're not getting- <laughs> <laughs> at this
1: point. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um. So yeah, I mean, so kind of fantastic, you know, little, um, <laughs> you know, just a surprise, um, kind of make. Make Christmas. I mean, Christmas is already, you know, good. We both got some great things, but, um, that was a, a fun surprise. So I can live vicariously through Sam's uh, leather backpack now.
1: Yeah. not I didn't, I didn't put a whole lot of luck on social media or anything, but the, I don't know, the, the, the sort of combination between a mod and a backpack is, is really interesting because, you know, cause like the front folds down and you can put stuff into it and it's got that same kind of, this is ground feel to it. Um, So I keep, like, uh, the Bandito roll that I bought, I guess, two years ago, and and that's in there as well. But it's really intuitive in in terms of this is where the laptop goes, you can put an iPad here, here's your Apple Pencil space, Um, here's where you put your your tile, which is a hidden little compartment, which is kind of cool. You know, here's where the laptop cords go. Everything kind of fits, just like a, a mod does. And... Of course, I'm a, I'm a huge David Bowie fan, so for me, like, this is a, a something I, I definitely want to support because of the name alone. <laughs> but you know that, right? You know the story. The story behind what? The name. This is ground.
0: I've heard a story, but
1: I didn't think it related to David Bowie at all. Ugh! No, it comes from uh, Space Oddity.
0: No, I thought it was. All right, we're gonna have to do some fact checking on this because I oh, thought- fact
1: check hashtag. No, yeah. the, the founder is a huge David Bowie fan, and he used to drive blimps. And this is ground control was right. Like he, Space Oddity is his favorite song, so this is ground is the first line from, uh, Space Oddity.
0: Okay, so I knew it had to do with like being a pilot, but I thought it was like saying like regularly this is ground
1: yeah I, right I missed, so that, that's what you Bowie say reference then okay yeah so I missed but, but the Bowie it,
0: connection so i apologize for that okay so we're yeah Bowie and that's
1: Bowie. why like when when they have the special core tacos they always have like the bully core tacos right, yeah
0: okay no that's right that's right yeah yeah but Yeah.
1: Bowie tacos. Bowie. <sighs> so anyway every time and and the even the little uh the the three line things has some some Bowie reference like the the logo itself I'll have to look into that.
0: Yeah. Nice. I'm learning so much. This is great. See? This is why we need to be doing our show on a regular basis. (laughs) Uh, All right. Thanks for listening. Um, We've tried to keep it fairly short and um, very, very serious for you. Um, And this first show back for 2017. Um, We appreciate you staying around. Uh, Look out next week for uh, hopefully what will be – Uh, an even better show. Uh, As always, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Thomas Whitley, same as at Sam Harrelson. And you can always find more more great podcasts at thinking.fm.